Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, where we discuss the biggest, the best films coming to theaters and streaming online from the San Francisco Bay Area. I am the film editor of theyoungfolks.com. My name is John Negroni, and he is from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and he is a writer over at Collider.com. Hey, Will Ashen. Hello. Will and I are going to be talking about a, a couple of movies. What else is new? Will, can I tell you, though, I'm feeling some uh, some FOMO. FOMO? Yeah. For what? Just a little bit. Well, you know how the Hollywood Critics Association, they had their awards and CODA won and everybody was like super excited. Uh, if you say so. Yeah. I mean, I saw people were talking about the awards themselves, mm-hmm. but I, I actually, but I didn't see uh, the actual list of winners. I didn't see the whole, I watched some of the live stream. I really wanted to go because it's the first year that I'm in the Hollywood Critics Association. Oh, okay. And I see. It would have been fun. I would have been able to see a whole bunch of people I know, some people in the area that like uh, my, my editor over at Words Watch was there. It would have been a fun old time, but I couldn't make it. Hmm. I think uh, so. You, so you said Coda won Best Picture? It did. Tick, t- tick, tick, boom won like the Best Comedy Musical or whatever it is. Uh, I blank a little bit on some of the things. Yeah, Coda. Coda is doing pretty well. Is it? Should we be adjusting it for our Oscar, you know, predictions track? What's going on? I don't know, because it also won the main award at the Screen Actors Guild. It did. Awards, right? It did. Um, and we, we should also mention, you know, like with Oscars coming up and everything like that, Power of the Dog was the front runner, but then Sam Elliott said something mean about Power of the Dog. <laughs> so I guess that means the uh, the backlash is going to start. Is that I mean, That's how it usually works, isn't it? I guess. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I think still Power of the Dog is the front runner at the moment, though I have heard yeah, that facetious. Uh, Screen Actors Guild, they picked, um, I think, Je- uh, Jessica Chastain for Best Actress, which kind of throws the Best Actress race for a frenzy. Like, there's no clear front runner at this point, though it was predicted that her and Nicole Kidman were the front runners at the moment for that award. So, yeah. I like that it went to Chastain over Kidman because t- mm. as Tammy Faye, I think has a better performance, better movie. But you uh, know. I, yeah, I don't know. I think both those performances are kind of embarrassing, and I'd be em- uh, kind of sad if either of those won. But you know, that's a conversation. Embarrassing, just strong. Our, yeah, when we do our our Oscars episode. We'll do our yeah. if we pick the winners, it'll be fun. But mm. that's not what we're talking about today. We're we're picking a winner right now. And you know what winner I'm picking? For what? Yeah, Peter I don't know. Dinklage. Okay, he's a winner. Was he? Was he nominated for a Screen Actors Guild Award for this performance? For this one, I don't know. I, I didn't see him get nominated for anything, but I could I could easily check that. Yeah, because uh, yeah, he, he was at one point considered the like people thought he was going to get the fifth nomination for Best Actor at the Oscars, and then that I know I know well, he did. Okay, so he won Best Actor at the Detroit Film Critics Society. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I'm not seeing anything for SAG. Um, I don't think he won anything from Hollywood critics, but he could, you know, he's, he's up for critics choice awards. He's up for BAFTA, you know, there's, there's a couple things coming along. So what mm-hmm. are you going to do? Maybe, maybe it'll, he'll come through. I don't know, but Probably not. you know, what's not interesting this about this movie, Cyrano? What's that? A lot of things, but sure. I, for one thing, I remember it pretty well. I saw it in December, so it's been quite a while and oh yeah. I, I remember when I watched it, I was kind of like, hmm, is this really going to be like an awards contender? Because the audience was pretty muted. People weren't that into it. I wasn't that into it past the first act. So I was kind of like, hmm, I don't know. 
But then I think slowly over time, the campaigns come out. People have said, you know what, Sierra, no, more like Siri, yes. And here we are You've been on this movie. Holding Wait, that what? pun for like. I actually three came up with that on the fly. I'm a little proud of myself. I don't okay. know. Well, um, your letterbox I saw was like. Oh, yeah, Sierra, I did no say Sierra, no thanks. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, it's not. It's not that not that original. Sure. Yeah. But even even my originality suffered mm. there. No, so this this is also an interesting movie because so Peter Dinklage, he's married to Erica Schmidt, and she wrote the screenplay for this. Uh, oh. and huh. yeah. And he was so Cyrano de Bergerac is a story from like way back. It was like a right. a stage play mm-hmm. um, from 1897, right. um, Edmund Rostand's play Cyrano de Bergerac, mm-hmm. where it, it was different from this version because Cyrano he can't be with the person he loves because his nose is big, and they changed that for obvious reasons because like it's not 1897 and that doesn't make sense, you know. And also yeah. there's like I've heard some people talk around it, you know, just like. You kind of run into some weird anti-Semitic stuff there, you know, even unintentionally. Yeah. 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 Uh, And so there's, it's different. I just thought it was because they were like, we're not going to talk Roxanne, the Steve Martin. Yeah. The Steve Martin one. And and even that, like, I haven't seen it, but like, it's distracting too, because like the, the prosthetics and everything. And it's like, I don't know. And you know, it's kind of funny because this is directed by Joe Wright, right? Yes. And Joe Wright, you know, for Darkest Hour. Right. He's known for, you know, getting some makeup on the yeah, prosthetics and all that. Yeah. Yeah. I I thought it was uh, an interesting subversion. Like it's telling the thrust of the story, but you're changing it up enough to justify the retelling. So mm-hmm. yeah. And you know, and it gives Peter Dinklage a meaty lead role, which who can complain about that? Yeah, he was in the actual stage musical because this was a musical before they turned it into a movie. Peter Dinklage was in it with Haley Bennett who's also okay. in the movie. Yeah. Uh, and this is an Erica Schmidt wrote the original musical and the screenplay for this movie. They're just adapting their own play and they're keeping Peter Dinklage and Haley Bennett. There you go. Haley What's Bennett, the... who also is the life partner of Joe Wright. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an orgy of a movie. Uh, that's one way to describe it, I guess. <laughs> I thought this was sort of, um, a, a, like a COVID sort of thing where like the play production went out when COVID was shutting everything down and they were just kind of seizing the opportunity I don't know. to make the a play movie was 2018 they, they had like a good okay. couple of years and okay i didn't know i thought this was like 2019 or 2020 or like you know like around that time and i thought they just like wanted to keep keep it going under some you know some lights and cameras and all that jazz so but no. i don't know i don't really know no they, they had a good run i don't think they would have kept it going past you know 2020 anyway because you're not going to keep Peter Dinklage and Haley Bennett on that, like at least that version of it. But no, they, they announced the film, um, or they announced that MGM had the rights back in 2020. Um, so during the pandemic, they filmed this in Italy. And I, I'm not that familiar with the original story. So beyond the the change, which is it's not that he, you know, has a bigger nose. He's self-conscious because of his height. And this is Peter Dinklage coming off of Game of Thrones, of course. Game of Thrones being, you know, one of the biggest shows of all time, but also not fondly remembered for its final season for a lot of reasons we won't get into. But it's just, it's fascinating to sort of see Peter Dinklage. Um, I think I, I love that this is getting attention for him because he's always been a great actor. I think Game of Thrones, certainly, you know, a lot of its success was because of him. I think he was one of the most popular of characters. 
he he was he was somebody who I think without him I don't think that show would have nearly been as as big. It, it certainly relied on a lot of different people, um, but I think mm-hmm. if I had to pick one person out of that show as like you're the heart of the show, like get this needs to get done right or else the show doesn't work. And I think that's him. And so I'm I'm really happy to see him getting his due um, on the big mm-hmm. screen. Yeah, I mean, I've only seen the first season of Game of Thrones and I uh, didn't have much interest in continuing it thereafter. And, uh, you know, we've had that discussion before. But the mm-hmm. honest to goodness reason I watched the first season was because of Peter Dinklage. I was like, this guy is great. I love the station agent, which was, uh, you know, his like first starring role so far as I can remember. Um, or at least like that was like the first time I feel like he really got a proper showcase and that was like the same year as elf and i feel like people keep talking about elf yeah. and he's great in elf but like you he know is. in that film it's you know he's, it's it's like kind of like a like you know like a, a jokey supporting role which is fine he's great at it and he's a good sport but you know if you see station agent that same year it's just like man this guy is just he has so much depth as an actor and he just you know he communicates so much and he just you know it was clear that like he deserved this like opportunity that game of thrones gave him and it was just so refreshing rewarding to see him get that you know critical and awards attention like even though i didn't love that show or keep watching it it was just so you know nice to see him getting all this due and so i've definitely been happy for his success all these years for sure same here i think he's one of the few actors in game of thrones who's american you know and like people don't even realize like the guy was born in like I think the Jersey Shore, you know, oh, yeah. so that I mean, yeah, and that's a testament, I think, to I mean, obviously, there's a stigma for Americans doing British accents and other kinds of accents. But he clearly is just like a master, I think, of the craft of acting um, for a lot of reasons. So, yeah, I mean, his his filmography, it's not amazing. You know, I think that uh, I care a lot. He was quite good in. I, I like that movie quite a bit. Um, I thought he was one He's of the better it, yeah. characters in Three Billboards outside of being Missouri. Yeah. Mm hmm. Uh, a lot of his other films, you know. Well, he's uh, isn't he in in Bruges? In Bruges, is he? Um, in, I don't I remember think... him in that movie. Maybe. Let me look it up. I remember he was in. I mean, one of his worst roles that he had. He was stuck with. I know he was in Pixels. He was in one of the Chronicles of Narnia. I forget which one. He was in Death at a Funeral. Um, he was he was okay in that X Men movie. I think I think it was Days of Future Past, not Apocalypse. Yes, Days of Future Past. He was in that one. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. He didn't, I don't, again, like I think his, his film roles haven't been his best. And so that's why to me, Cyrano is so cool because it's like, oh wow, you know, here he is. I think, oh yeah, he was in infinity war too. I almost yeah. forgot about it. He was in a, he was in a Marvel movie. There mm-hmm. you go. Yeah. Great guy. Great actor. I don't know if he's a great guy. I haven't met him, but he seems sure. to be. So he's in yeah, this new movie. Me, yeah. And mm-hmm. oh, go ahead. no, no, I was just going to say like, I think before Game of Thrones, like, you know, he when you say he doesn't have a great filmography, I felt like that's less because of him and more just because he didn't really get a lot of opportunities because, you know, unfortunately, yeah, just point. not not a lot of roles are written for actors such as him. So, you know, it's it is nice that, you know, like now he's getting all these great roles and he's finally getting his due. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I would say that's probably the bigger reason more than anything for why he's been, you know, kind of having a less than consistent career all these years. And you can tell this movie uh, is a passion project, mm-hmm. you know, um, absolutely so. So let's talk about Joe Wright real quick. Joe Wright, who has made I, I don't I don't really like any of the movies I've seen from him except for Atonement. I like that movie. Um, yeah, great. I kind of liked The Soloist. Um, I kind of like Pride and Prejudice, Soloist, his version wow. of that. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen Hannah or Anna Karenina. 
So I don't know, like, Trinidad, yeah, however you say it. And I absolutely despise Pan, that Peter Pan origin movie. Oh, my gosh, I despise (laughs) that movie. Darkest Hour I thought was okay. Mm -hmm. And then Woman in the Window I thought was pretty bad. Kind of just so bad that Netflix parodied it, parodied themselves a year later. It's great. Sure. I mean, I thought this is probably a controversial opinion, but I thought, you know, I didn't think Women in the Window was that great either, but... I mean, women, whatever the, the Kristen Bell thing was, that was not very good. I'd say it was certainly worse than. Yeah, you saw that. I didn't yeah. see. I didn't. I didn't see that. There was like yeah. a ten episode thing. Whatever. Don't bother. I was like, why would I? Why? Why wasn't that a movie? Like, I, exactly. that was my main thing in my review. Yeah, I was just like, this yeah. should have been a movie. Your review is for a slant, right? Yep, that was right. Find it there, listeners. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. So, so Joe writes back directing, and I'll, I'll say off the top. I mean, I think that this is a much better film. Um, than a lot of his recent work. I think it's better than Darkest Tower. And I like this movie. In fact, um, so the story is Cyrano, as we already kind of mentioned, he's kind of like an aristocrat, you know, sort of sort of well-to-do dude. And he's also, he's a dwarf, um, so he's very short. Um, but he is like best friends with this young woman who is beautiful. She comes from a good family, but I think she's like an orphan. And she is, you know, looking for love, maybe in all the wrong places. They go to the opera and Cyrano kind of gets into like almost sort of like a rap battle with one of the performers because he happens to be amazing with words. Cyrano, he may he may be pretty self-conscious about his appearance, but he is absolutely like he knows how to spit fire. This whole sequence, the entire opera scene, which, you know, goes from like um, a rhyming battle to eventually like a sword fight in the middle of a rhyming battle. It's our first real sort of like song number. Cause this is a musical as well. At this point in the movie, I was like, Oh my word, am I watching a movie that I love? Am I going to love this? If this movie keeps it up at this level, I'm all in. This is one of my favorites of the year because this is stuff that I love. I love sword fights, especially when they're that gimmicky and they're that fun and personal and the stakes are just over the top and I was getting swept away. The rest of the movie I thought was nowhere near as fun, nowhere near as engaging. It just sort of turns into a lot of other, like the the real, like uh, the formula starts to come in where Cyrano's in love with Roxanne, but he doesn't think she would love him back and she has the hots for a very attractive man, uh, like traditionally attractive, we should say, played by Calvin Harrison Jr. She's being pursued by a rich noble, played by Ben Mendelsohn, who's dastardly. And the Calvin Harrison character, he's super traditionally attractive, but he's not good with words. So Cyrano gives him his love letters that he means for Roxanne, and it's just... He, he, you know, will true love prevail, you know, and they're going to sing lots of songs. And I just I, I when when the real thrust of the movie came in and this is what we were watching, I lost interest pretty fast. But what did you think, Will Ashen, about this movie? Two hours, a little over two hours. So it's kind of a long one. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, going back to what you were saying about Joe Wright, he's the sort of director where I haven't seen Pride and Prejudice. I think that's the only one of his that's a blind spot. Um, but every one of his films I've seen going back to atonement, 
even when I don't love the films, I really just admire his gusto, I guess. Or I don't know if that's the exact word. I just admire that he sort of just kind of thrust everything into his movies. And even when his sensibilities aren't exactly right for the project, he he you never feel like, OK, he's like half half assing this project. Like he you see like Anna Karina and then like not everything about that works. But when that movie sings, it's just it's incredible. And I really enjoy Hannah. Uh, I, I think um, even something like Pan is just so bizarre and takes so many big swings that I, I can't really hate it. I don't think it's good, but it's just so all over the place and bizarre and, and it just does so many weird things that it's just like at least I wasn't bored by it I mean that's kind of how I also felt about uh, Woman in the Window where it's he just seems to kind of throw everything out there and just kind of hope for the best and that leads into I guess what I feel about this film which is that I think in some respects it is somewhat a return like I don't think it's quite as good as, at- as Atonement but it does feel like he's kind of in a more comfortable spot. Like he definitely feels more at ease when he's in the sort of period piece thing, as opposed to something like darkest hour or women in the window or pan. Like it just seems like, you know, seeing people in powdered wigs and acting very formal and being very uh, verbose in their love is something that seems very natural for him. It seems like that's where he feels most comfortable because he seems to be a very sort of sincere romantic type of filmmaker and he has this sort of old-fashioned theatricality and a story like this like he you know he he feels most at ease with the kind of whimsy and the broadness of it and i think that feels where he he really sort of excels as a director but i guess when it comes down to the music itself i feel like it's not quite as captivating for me as i was hoping it would be not that any of the musical numbers are uh you know incompetent or poorly done i, I mean there's a lot of uh, fascinating choreography with those scenes. Sure, yeah. I think um, they're just Haley not Bennett. memorable. I forgot all the music. Yeah, I mean the weird thing is that it just feels sort of uh, like I guess stilted to me. Like it's not that it's like uninspired, but they're just like they're, I think his formalism gets a little bit in the way for these musical numbers. It just kind of feels like all right, now the camera is gonna zoom in here, and we're all gonna go like this and that. It, it I think for a musical, you kind of need some more like spontaneity, even if it isn't sincere. Like you kind of have to have the feel of spontaneity. And with this movie, it kind of just feels like, and here's the musical number, and this is when we do this, and everything feels so thought out and planned out. I guess to a fault. Like it just kind of feels like there's. I don't know. It, it, his the emotionality of the actors really sells it. I think, but his style, I feel like, is both perfect for a musical and poorly suited for a musical at the same time. I don't know if you would agree or not, though. The the music we should say is by the National, um, the band. It's like a rock band, American. Yeah, band. I like the National. Um, yeah, they're quite good. Aaron and Bryce Dessner did the music specifically for this film, mm-hmm. and yeah, I have to agree with you that I don't think the the music just really comes through. And it, it, I think the problem is that in, in every other level, I think the film has is immaculate. You know, it's filmed in Italy, like we mentioned. The costumes are extravagant. I think the performances are quite good. I think. To the, with the exception of Haley Bennett. I don't really like her performance in this, but I really like Dinklage. I, I think Kelvin Harrison Jr. is doing solid work in this. I don't think he's amazing in it, but you know he certainly brings brings something to it. But I, I just think that the music just isn't at that level. Like it doesn't match, it feels. Um, at times it does, at times it doesn't. And I, I just I also don't think that the music, the mood matches the lyrics. It's such a poetic sort of movie. 
like it's about poetry. It's about, you know, having the words of saying you love someone, but not having the courage. And if that's your story, I just think that the, the musical accompaniment to that should be, I think more emotionally powerful than it is. Instead, it's just kind of a flighty tune. I think it's just very melodious and it sounds nice, but I think part of the reason it's not memorable is because it just doesn't have that oomph that you want to feel when you're watching Peter Dinklage pour his heart out, you know, through the music. He's not an amazing singer and that's fine. He doesn't have to be because the, I don't think the movie needs him to sound amazing singing, mm-hmm. to sound good enough and for the emotion to come through through the words themselves and his expressions. But I think because the the music can be kind of repetitive and kind of one note, not to pun it up, I think that it just gets tedious after a while. It's like, I feel like we're just doing the same emotional beats over and over again. There's not enough escalation. There's not enough progress and building upon. So it's just sort of a slog for two hours where you're like, well, just get to the point. Like this doesn't have to be two hours if this is all you're going to do. And then I also just think the ending is kind of miserable. Like I, not that it Hmm. needed to be a certain way. I just sort of was like, this is what we're leading to. I I don't know. It just didn't quite fit for me. Do you disagree? I I didn't find it miserable. Actually, I I, I don't know. That kind of goes back, I think, to that Mm. old fashioned theatricality to it where it just feels very romantic to me, though. I will say in a very sort of chaste way, I I was talking about that with you after the film. There's something about this movie that feels like uh, uh, I don't know if I want to use this word or not, but almost sort of virginal. To, in a weird way, like it just kind of feels like these like characters just like talking about their love in a very non-sexual sort of way, which is gets a little weird after a while. Um, You're saying they, they should have gone Song of Solomon up in this, huh? Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm, I'm not quite sure. I've, Song of Solomon, the what? Bible. Oh, sorry. I haven't, I haven't <laughs> read up on that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's on your, your to-do yeah, list. It's, it's on my Goodreads list. Uh, yeah, my to I, I, read. Would, I would say of all the books of the Bible to read, Song of Solomon's the best one. I mean, it's, you know, especially if you mm. like films. In any case, I wasn't uh, predicting we'd talk about the Bible, but sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you weren't predicting, you weren't waiting for like a Sunday school lesson. <laughs> sure. Uh, you know, I guess I... I Expect the unexpected with you, John. But um, as far as, you know, the ending, I, I just think to me, like the last scene just kind of that feels very much like Joe Wright to me. It's just like it's unapologetically very romantic and, you know, corny, but in a way that feels sincere. And I, I guess I prefer that to something ironic at this point. Like, I, I kind of like that he Joe Wright just has his style and just kind of sticks to it, even when his sensibilities don't always feel right. For instance, there's like one musical number here with Haley Bennett where she's like in a bed, like cuddling a letter. And it's very bizarre how it's like playing out. I don't know if you remember that scene or not, because I know it's been a while for you. Uh, mm. But it's just I don't know, like vaguely. Uh, just, I do. Again, I remember a lot of this movie to its credit. Yeah, it just like there's a couple of scenes like that where it just kind of feel like that feels like pan. Uh, Joe Wright coming out is just like I, I don't know about that. It's a little weird. I, I do want to say I was gonna me- I, I I was gonna mention this, but I got distracted. But when you were talking about the film being so chaste mm. and sort of like non-sexual, uh, one of my favorite Letterbox reviews I read for this was, uh, "You know what's better than sex? Receiving a letter." <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
I, I probably have a couple oh, I comments it. I can make, but I don't want to get canceled on this podcast. So, um, yeah, you, you yeah. get canceled enough as it is. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as far as, uh, what you were talking about before with Peter Dinklage's, uh, singing, uh, that's something I actually found kind of endearing. Cause I know the trailers for the film, I, I know you haven't seen probably any of the promotional materials for this film, but I've seen this trailer. I have not ad nauseum like it literally plays before every single movie and i've you know like even down to the point where it's like it was almost kind of hard to divorce mm-hmm. the trailer from the movie because i just kept watching movies like oh there's that scene from the trailer and there's that scene does this have a marketing budget i don't know i'm just telling you that it's kind of surprising yeah i mean it's not made in like much money it hasn't it's not in even a wide release it's only in 797 theaters right now in north sure. america i just know that anytime i'd see a movie i'd just be like and here's the Cyrano trailer uh you know i'd just see it over and over and over again but the one thing that stood out to me seeing the trailer over and over and over again was that mm-hmm. they focus so much on Haley bennett singing obviously they focus so much on all the other you know very broad musical numbers but you didn't really hear pierre dinklage sing and i was like is that a deliberate mm. choice is he not really does Suspicious. he not sing in the film because that'd be certainly a bizarre choice for a musical and obviously he does sing but like you said he's sort of uh parodying he sing talks yeah but he's he's parodying uh the um Matt Bur- Burdener, uh the, the lead guy. Matt Beringer. Beringer. Vo- yeah, he's the, the vocalist for the National. Right. He's like, he's like sort of like copying his song speaking style, like his sing speaking style in a way that at first was a little distracting, but as it went along, it kind of got endeared to it because it is like deliberately kind of rough and haggard, but in a way that feels true to the character like he you know even though he can you know speak so eloquently and all this stuff like him being vulnerable with his feelings is something that doesn't really feel natural to the character and the fact that his Mm. singing style sort of evokes that is i thought a pretty compelling choice whether deliberate or not that's something i found really interesting and unique about the film itself did you find Haley bennett to be a, a good singer here or just good in general because my my take on her was just i don't know where's the charm you know, I um, we really need to buy. He's hopelessly in love with her. And I feel like there's just something missing with this character. I say this as somebody who's in the middle of watching the Gilded Age week to week. Is she which on that? Has characters like this. Oh, OK, she's not. But I'm just saying that, like, uh, one of Meryl Streep's daughters is in it. And sure. very similar characters, actually, uh, you know, writing wise in the same time period, mm. essentially. And there's just some sort of like wide eyed charm and charisma that I just I, I'm not trying to hate on Haley Bennett because I I've liked her in other things to be sure, but uh, I don't know is that just me? I took it less as her performance and more that I felt the writing for her character was very two dimensional to a point that I found it sort of distracting. Like how like that is a big part of it. Yeah, she's like just her whole thing is just being lovey dovey and like even like weirdly like the opening scene sort of suggests otherwise. Like it's like she presents herself as a sort of like free spirit who like just yeah. wants to find love and mm-hmm. you know go against her family expectations but then every other scene uh after that it's just like she's like this doe-eyed innocent who's just like it does the beauty and the right. beast thing a little bit even to the point where she like seems kind of dumb like there's that scene where like you know like peter dinklage is hiding <laughs> yeah, yeah. behind the wall speaking for um uh, you know, our, our lead romantic character. What's, um, what was his name? Um, not Cyrano. Calvin but, Harrison Jr. Yeah, his, what was his, I forget his character's name. 
Um, uh, like sure. I'm going to remember. Well, I don't know. I just uh, <laughs> it's been months. I didn't want to. But call... He's not a very yeah important character. Whatever. Well, he's pretty important to the film. I would. <laughs> he's like the third he lead, is, right? But, but I mean, uh, he's he. That's the thing. I think his character gets short shrift in a lot of ways in terms of the writing. I just uh, there is a moment where he sort of like turns the movie on its head a little bit to that mm-hmm. point. But I think that like Peter Dinklage is sort of using him. Haley Bennett's in love with like a version of him that doesn't exist, and he's just sort of like. I, I just, you know, like, I, I, I feel like he's, uh, what's the word? Sympathetic in a lot of ways, even though he's a bit of a liar. Yeah. And, a bit of a liar, total liar. And that's the thing, I guess, that kind of gets into one of the points I was kind of alluding to earlier, which is that the movie kind of seems caught between the traditionalism of the story and trying to subvert it at the same time. And like we said, casting Peter Dinklage is a pretty interesting way to subvert the story, but every other character seems to be traditional to a fault like it doesn't seem like they were trying to subvert anything else about the narrative to the point where it came kind of distracting that they subvert some things but chose to keep everything else like you know 60 70 percent traditional to the text and you know i I, it made me feel like the the elements that are trying to subvert it seem kind of odd in comparison because i do think like the script like i even though i don't love the way that Haley bennett's character is written I, I i do think it's a pretty clever script a lot of times like there's a lot of witty back and forth and you know some clever dialogue and even some of the structuring is pretty unique but um yeah i mean i just think that the characterizations for a lot of supporting characters left some things to be desired and the performances could sometimes suffer for that reason which is a shame because I am so happy to see Peter Dinklage in a lead role, a romantic lead role. I mean, it's just I think we, we've mentioned it quite a bit that like this is the kind of opportunity I think he was more than ready for, more than deserving for. And yeah, even though I don't think it worked out in a lot of other departments, I'm pretty. this is definitely one of those I'm happy this movie exists kind of movies. And I think I think his talent is very good. And I'm glad this movie is succeeding at least critically and with uh, like awards wise at least we'll, we'll do the Ron tomatoes game but uh yeah for his benefit i think for his career and i i come out of this i mean brass tacks do you recommend this movie i find myself struggling to recommend it there are very few people i know like i can easily recommend this to you know the my friends who like watch Lindsay ellis videos you know like people who love themselves like phantom of the mm. opera love stuff that's like more traditional and like even if it's imperfect they can really dig in they understand context for the time period very well and they're you know they obviously like P- peter dinklage and all that he can do but in terms of like the everyday like average you know movie goer i'm a little hesitant like that they'll like this very much uh i think this is a very lovely watch your grandma sort of movie and that sounds like a slight but that's actually a pretty sincere recommendation and uh, that my, my grandma's a, a pretty harsh critic really it's not fox news she's not that i'm just uh, what i mean though is that like it's i think something that warrants a big screen in that like i said it's very theatrical very grandiose in how it's told and presented sure sure but the story is you know something kind of traditional and basic to fault i think like and and like i said there's a sort of stilted quality to it that prevents it from really like fully coming to light but there is so much to admire here and, and you, if you do see in theaters i do think the musical numbers become a little bit more uh memorable and they, they stand out a little bit more than they would otherwise because you're seeing them in this very you know big large and life way that the movie theater provides and i think mm-hmm. like i said be- maybe maybe what i'm thinking is that it's like a pbs quality or something yeah you know? not, not- 
But yeah, but I mean, that kind of goes back to like the the PBS thing where it's like it's something you could comfortably watch with like your grandmother and not feel like embarrassed exactly. by or anything. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like you're wasting your time watching because, you know, clearly a lot of talented people worked on this and, you know, they really put their hearts into it. And there is something very passionate and, and romantic about the film. But it's not the story. We can watch the maybe we can watch the stage musical someday. Maybe. But it does. It doesn't really like. Uh, stand out in the memory though because like it just like you said doesn't really have enough it doesn't have quite that oomph to really make it like a tour de force or something that I think lives up to Joe Wright's earlier work so I'm not quite sure if he'll ever really match the level of atonement at least in my estimation but I mean at the same time I don't think it's like an embarrassment for him that some of his other recent projects have been so in that respect yes to answer your question I would recommend the film very nice Let's play the Rotten Tomatoes game. Way more critics have logged this on Rotten Tomatoes than I was expecting. 197 reviews. That's pretty cool. I think the awards bump is giving it some love. And uh, I guess I wasn't specific earlier about how much money it has made. It has made $2.5 million at the box office after a week of uh, its sort of semi-limited release. It's in more theaters than uh, limited release can sometimes give way like sometimes limited releases like one or two theaters and uh, other times it's like this it's like it's not a thousand which would be more of a wide release but it's it's just under that and so i I think that if this thing continues to sweep more awards and stuff like that it could it could get that bump but it's probably going to lose money because its budget is 30 million dollars yeah so kind of an expensive movie there right what uh oscar was it nominated for again was it costumes uh costumes was the only one yeah Yeah, best costume design which i do not think it will win no, I don't think either, and, but it, it I just feel like we didn't mention that earlier, so that's something that should be noted. True, true. Yeah. Um, okay, so the Rotten Tomatoes game. 197 critics. What do you think the Rotten Tomatoes score is, Will? Um, I'm seeing 76. Is That's what I'm seeing in my head. You got one of those numbers correct. Mm. 86%. bit higher. I'm actually surprised. I probably would have guessed around you, like probably no higher than the 70s, but... I think critics are responding to this uh, more, you know, more favorably than I certainly expected, as I said before. But OK, what about audience score? We have 100 plus verified ratings. What do you think the uh, the Dinklage stands are saying at this point? 64 percent. 86 percent. We have a we have a double. We have snake eyes. Hmm. 86, 86. I guess snake eyes would be one percent, one percent. I don't know. But 86, 86, it's a fun, fun combination there. So very high for both. And yeah. then uh, well, I didn't I didn't look up cinema score. Do you think there's a cinema score for this? Probably not. But and, well, I don't see one. what the theaters, you know, it, it didn't get like a streaming release. Yeah. So. I'm not seeing it on the cinema score, but we do have hmm. our letterboxed average rating out of five. What do you think that is? We have uh, 11,000 people have logged it on letterboxd.com, the best social media app for cinephiles. Are we plugged by Letterbox now? <laughs> Are we sponsored that? No, I just uh, love Letterbox that much. Oh wow! Okay, uh, three point four, three point three. Very close. Mm. Very nice. All right, that is Cyrano. You can check it out. Uh, maybe at a theater near you, or it'll probably be on some sort of video on demand at some point in the near future. We do have the Oscars later this month because it is now officially March as we record this. All right, let's get into our next and final film. No Exit. I actually hadn't heard of this movie, No Exit, until you had brought it up to me, Will. You were like, hey, there's this movie. It looks like it's a tight thriller, and it's coming to Hulu, and it's something that we can review, since we're both pretty strapped for time. 
And, you know, there were other things that hit theaters, some smaller releases too. I certainly didn't have time to go to the theater or doing much of anything <laughs> this past week, but I did have time to squeeze into Exit. You did as well. Again, it's on Hulu. What is this movie? It is, as I said, a thriller film. It is directed by Damien Power. Do you know who Damien Power is? I, I don't recognize any of the other films that he's done. What, the, uh, he what did else called, did he do? Something called Killing Ground, which Sounds looks familiar. like that's a full-length film. I think he's done a bunch of shorts. Sure. And he did a short called Bat Eyes in 2012. Hmm. Uh, something called Peekaboo, which is also 10 minutes. I think Killing Ground is his only feature that does sound not mistaken. familiar but i don't think i saw that film it sounds vaguely familiar to me although i don't recognize anybody from the cast except for um oh no i don't know who that is never mind <laughs> um but yeah no so this guy damien power is here with a new movie called no exit and uh, kind of an interesting movie where you know, we, we both had the same thought while we were watching this, that this is sort of like a contemporary version of The Hateful Eight, right? <laughs> like Very, very similar movies conceptually, mood-wise. Just uh, way less, uh, I don't want to say way less violence, but way less uh, racism, I guess? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess so, yeah. I mean, just in the sense that, yeah, there are a couple uh, disparate people so uh mm-hmm. barren in a in a cavernish sort of place and tensions yeah, they're trapped in a visitor center it's True. like modern day so it's not hateful eight in that way right yeah but it's i mean yeah but then it is a visitor center but it looks like kind of like a big cabin because the set sure um but they're snowed in they can't leave there's no exit although yeah. there are a couple of exits but not a lot yeah i mean it, it, it would just be tough <laughs> uh but yeah sure. i mean sure. you know it it, it, it is um uh, broadly similar to Hayfway, but not exactly. Not enough to where uh, Quentin Tarantino, I think, can sue. Ah, uh, yeah, that is the case. The main actor in this is Havana Rose Liu, who I've only seen one of her. She's been in a few films. I've only seen one of the films that she's been in, Mayday, that Sundance movie from last year. You remember Mayday? Oh, yeah. I was wondering where she looked familiar from. And I I think that might be it. Yeah, yeah. She was in that movie with her and Mia Goth. I think she had, uh, she was one of the, uh, Mm. not main, main characters, but she was was pretty in there. Um, She's also in the the new movie, the new Josephine. She's going to be in the new movie, excuse me. uh, The Sky is Everywhere. That just came out. The new Josephine Decker film. Yeah, just came out. I heard it's not great. Yeah, we. Uh, I've seen a couple of good reviews, a lot of really negative reviews so far. yeah that came out the weekend of valentine's day i remember and we debated doing a review of it but that weekend was just like you know just so much stuff came out that week and we couldn't get to it unfortunately yeah yeah we didn't get to it but uh what are you gonna do what are you gonna do not watch it that's what um yeah so havana rose i like her in this movie she plays a junkie who is in a group meeting and she gets a call that something's happened to her mom. She rushes to go to the hospital to see if her mom is okay. Um, She's estranged from her family, however. And so this is kind of a desperation sort of move. But as we said, she gets snowed in. Uh, The cops direct her to a visitor center and she's sort of stuck there. And she meets an interesting group of strangers. Uh, One of them is played by Danny Ramirez, um, who he's been in, he was in Assassination Nation. He's going to be in Top Gun, but a bunch of other things. Um, I almost didn't recognize him because I'm used to seeing him without his beard. Uh, but he he's one of the main guys in this. We also have Dennis, uh, the wonderful Dennis Haysbert, who has been in a lot of really good things. Um, I mean, Heat, probably 
his biggest best movie, arguably. Um, I know he was also in, was it the unit that he was, uh, that was like the TV show he was, in? I know he's in like the all state, you know, that's all yeah. states hands. Mm-hmm. He's in 24. Yeah. Um, as, uh, the president, I mean, I, so many, so much stuff he's been in, mm-hmm. but he, he plays like a Marine in this, which makes sense. Cause if you heard his voice Yeah, and then Great voice. we also have, uh, we have a uh, David Reisdahl who wonderful to see him again. Um, remember him from nine days. Um, that movie and um, if you say so i forget did you see nine days uh yeah i mean um yeah i did okay <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna say something controversial about nine no. days that's okay. one that um that came out last year right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i like that movie quite a bit it was, yeah it was decent yeah and then uh one of the last actors we have here is dale dickey who you know the legendary dale dickey from wonderful things just hell or high water super eight palm springs leave no trace winter's bone i mean just so many other movies, but okay. So they're, they're trapped in a blizzard and our main character, um, her name is Darby. I almost forgot. And she discovers that maybe one of these people she's sort of hanging out with in this visitor center, maybe they're up to no good. Maybe something bad is going on. And she starts to suspect that something, something kind of dark and shady is happening. And she has to figure out a way to survive. So what did you think of No Exit? Will Ashton, is it your favorite movie of 2022? Um, yeah, I mean, I thought this was a solid thriller. Uh, but it's a weird film for me because it's like, I think it's solid. I think it's well done. I really like the plotting. I know it's based on a book. Um, I didn't know that until after the film, though. But it has like kind of like a 90s throwback feel to it. And that like, you know, like it's just very like character focused, gives some really solid actors, some nice time to kind of ham it up. But in a way, it doesn't feel, you know, like over the top or anything like that, at least until the end when it has to be. Uh, But, you know, it's it's all about escalating stakes, but it's also pretty clever in terms of like subverting some expectations early on and feeling like it's not really like wasting the audience time. Like you get a lot of information, but in a way that, you know, doesn't feel like they're like kind of stalling for time outside of like one, you know, card scene. But even that's pretty entertaining. Um, But the weird thing for me is that like I feel like it's an easy movie to compliment, but thinking back, I don't like think about it a lot. Cause I think it just kind of does its job and then serves its purpose. And then that's it. It's not like a movie. I'm like reflecting on a lot or think it's really deep and thematically rich. I think it's think it's like a really solid piece of genre filmmaking, but you know, in this kind of streaming age, it's just kind of like you watch it. You're like, that's a pretty good movie. And then you move on with your life. So it kind of makes talking about it a little bit weird. Yeah, it's like I almost want to because you're echoing a lot of what I was going to bring up. I almost find it the conversation around this movie more interesting in light of this is the kind of movie that gets made today for a streaming service. It's like a slam dunk conceptually. Like this is the kind of thing like if it if it was on Netflix, it would be like on Netflix's top five, probably be up there because it just it does everything that I think most people who want to watch a movie on a weeknight or something with somebody and they're kind of just vaguely interested in, you know, true crime or regular crime or anything, anything involving crime and suspense and just something that's really easy to sum up in a sentence, you know, a group of characters are stuck in a cabin and it looks like one of them is a criminal. Like that's pretty easy to sell. It's kind of got that like dread. The actors are certainly good in this movie, but yeah, solid is the word. It's like, we don't have TV movies anymore. We have streaming only releases now. 
and it, it's a very certain type of film. And I think it's been, it's been fun. Will we've spent the last few years, arguably since 2018, 2017, when it really got going with Netflix, we've seen like the sort of evolution or progression or whatever you want to call it. This, this shift of like a new type of movie sort of being developed in real time as we've been discussing them. And I think that's kind of, that, that's kind of the fun thing about this movie. It's just like, they have this thing down to a science. It reminds me of how like the Marvel, the Marvel movies, they kind of just, they kind of just have it figured out. They know how to just keep doing the same thing in like slightly different ways, like enough that people are still going to show up and pay money. And that's kind of what we're getting with these sorts of movies, albeit through 20th century studios and Hulu, even though this to me is such a response to a Netflix, you know, original thriller. Honestly, I know it's based on a book and everything like that, but even then the, the similarities don't end there. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard to not compare this movie to Kimmy, which we just recently watched. The main reason being that both, them. uh, incorporate nail guns pretty frequently into their plots. I didn't even think about that, but sure. But but also it just like both those are like streaming movies that are like kind of like chamber thrillers that feel like they're made in COVID because they're one location and, you know, like or one primary location, I'd say. Uh, and they allow, you know, some actors kind of like stay dormant in one place and kind of go back and forth in a way that, you know, for the people involved, doesn't feel like super dangerous to make and say like 2011 or whatever. Um, But, you know, at the same time, like I said, it does feel like it's made for a streaming audience and that like the, the cinematography of this film, it's not terrible, but also kind of leaves a little bit to be desired. Like it just kind of looks cheap, but not like overly distractingly. So, but you can kind of just tell that it's a set and that you're like seeing actors uh, you know, acting against a backdrop that's like meant to be like a blizzard. And it, it's not enough to take me out of it, but like that kind of gives that TV movie quality that you're talking about, where it's just like that that eliminates a little bit of the stakes because you're just thinking like, oh, I'm watching actors acting as, as, um, on a set. But I think, you know... But at the same time, I mean, good showcase for Damien Power, sure. you know, like showing yeah. that what he can do on a pretty limited budget. Sure, yeah. But I also feel like when you compare it to Kimmy and you see so, and obviously, you know, Damien Power doesn't have the same experience and, uh, you know, the veteran that's status Soderberg. that, that yeah, Soderbergh yeah, has. We kind of we got to be a little bit fair. Sure. But I feel like he can still like be pretty stylish and compact in what he does. And like, you know, like there's so much nifty stuff in that movie that even though it's intended for a streaming audience, it has a cinematic quality. And this, you know, I, I do think it would be fun to see it with a crowd. Like if you watch it with a bunch of people, it can be, you know, easy kind of like get into it. And that's something that I feel is lost with streaming. But at the same time, it, feel like, it feels like it's made for a streaming audience so much that they kind of prevented themselves, I worry, from making it seem kind of more visually appealing. And so that, mm-hmm. that, that I feel like is a deterrent for the film. My advice to anybody who checks it out is I, th- I think the setup for the movie takes a bit too long. Like it takes a while to really get going uh, in terms of like what we're doing here. It's a lot of setup because, at the beginning, yeah. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's partly because they want this to be more than just like she's got to survive. There's got to be more at stake for us to care, right? Well, why does she need to survive? What's really on the line for her? What's you know what's what's her trauma? What's going on? You know, outside of this very uh, atrocious situation, and so you got to have that sure. And then I think it's also a bit predictable. Like once you like really the first two thirds of it, you're you, you're going to see most of these beats coming. But I think the, I think they kind of nail it in the third. Not <laughs> nail it. Yeah. They kind of really make it work by the third. I think I think the last part of it is where it comes together. There's there's a twist in it that I only sort of saw coming, but like the way they did it was like ah wonderful. Like it just you know 
heart-wrenching stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree as far as like the first half, it's like kind of spinning its wheels a little bit. But I agree. Like, I think after like the first you know, like 50 or 20 minutes, it doesn't really waste your time after that. Because it's just like I think sure. a lesser movie would have been like, you know, oh, there's this obviously creepy dude that's around. But then they're like, it's not him. It's this other character. And this movie is just kind of like, no, it's a creepy dude. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> but he's not working sure, sure. alone. So you got the kind of like that becomes like the mystery of it. And I felt that was kind of refreshing. And that felt a little bit subversive to me because I feel like it was almost like going back on weird. Like it's subversive and that's kind of going back to basics and weird because I feel like now so many movies have to like kind of be clever about it and be like, oh, no, like you have to kind of like one, two, three, like check like uh, certain boxes. And this movie is just kind of like. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's pretty obvious that this guy is on the level and you're right. He's not on the level, but he's not, you know, like I say, he's not working alone. So that becomes the mystery of it. And, you know, I think like you, you were saying, I think the last like 30 or 45 minutes where this thing is really cooking, like, OK, like this is tight. And that's where it counts. Like, I mean, you know, if it, if it didn't land that, this movie would have been a dud. But I think that's where Thriller really needs to come alive. And, and I think Damien Power gets that. But I agree that if it was maybe a little bit tighter and it's plotting in the first 15-ish minutes, I think this could have been like a like good to very good film. As it stands, I think it's a pretty solid, but mostly just decent sort of film. That's what I'm thinking, too. And it's it's nice and short about 95 minutes in and it's out you can watch it on hulu i got nothing left uh, not a bad movie so that's no exit yeah i guess we can play the rotten tomatoes game unless you had something else no i mean that was pretty much it i mean that's kind of the sad thing about a movie like this is that we can just both be like yeah it's a pretty solid film but when yeah, you're reviewing you it <laughs> in a podcast form it, it doesn't really inspire like a deep conversation but you know yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, whatever. Like you're not going to have like a, a long conversation about like if you watch this to the group of people, you guys aren't going to you're probably going to talk about anything else afterward. You know, I mean, <laughs> so what did you do this weekend? Yeah, I'm sure you could probably have a, you know, deep conversation about like trauma. But I feel like other movies have tackled that or like sure. drug addiction, right? Like stuff like that, like that, that talk that tackles been in a sort of superficial way. Uh, at least in my opinion. But, you know, I mean, the only thing I would say other than that is that it's just really nice to see Dale Dickey. In a movie. I know she has a film at Sundance yeah, yeah. Um, that was apparently really good, but unfortunately I missed it. So it was nice to see her. Yeah, I think I think what's hard for me is just to like the two movies I've seen since this were the Batman mm -hmm. and Turning Red, which are just such movies in terms of like there's so much yes. going on with those movies. Feels. So like this little sort of like streaming thing. Mm -hmm. I'm just sort of like, yeah, I did watch that. Uh it yeah <laughs> like i yeah it doesn't inspire much discussion mm -hmm. on rotten tomatoes we have 49 reviews counted not a lot mm -hmm. not a lot of people reviewed it and uh what are you gonna yeah, I mean, i'm not that surprised what do you think the rt score is though for those 49 reviews i feel like this is a type of movie where on rotten tomatoes like everyone's probably giving it like three out of five or 3.5 out of five like good reviews but not like amazing reviews but because like three out of four critics are going to give it a positive review, the Rotten Tomatoes score is going to be pretty high and maybe set people up for the wrong expectations. So I'm going to say 84%. Oof. Am I off? It's been a while since you were this far oh, off. Oh, boy. 57%. Really? Is that low? Yeah, it's pretty low. Wow. Um, one, of, one of the top reviews I see here is from friend of the show, Kimber Myers, hmm. who wrote her review for the LA Times. 
And yeah, she was negative on the film. She wow. said, as the film winds toward its bloody climax, it's unclear what the point of it all was. She's not wrong. <laughs> so, I feel like the point you of know, it. You know, I hear her on that. Pretty. I mean, not yeah. that, you know, I, I, you know, have immense respect for Kimber, but I feel like the point of it's made pretty clear. I just think it's kind of a superficial film. Uh, maybe so. Maybe so. Yeah. We'd have to, we'd have to have her here yeah. let her defend oh, well. herself in person. Right. Right. Um, yeah. In fact, I don't really recognize any of these other negative reviews, like from in these other critics. Mm. I don't know these folks as well. So yeah, it's surprising that. to me. I thought, you know, like I didn't expect it to be getting raves, but I thought, you know, mm. the, the vibe I've been getting, like at least from people I follow on letterbox and stuff is that it's been like, everyone's just kind of like, yeah, we all agree. Three out of five stars. <laughs> right. Right. And it's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, okay, and then uh, what about the audience score? You have a hundred plus ratings on Rotten Tomatoes for the audience. Oh. What do you think the score is? The average? I don't know. I'm off my game today. Uh, I'm gonna say or slightly sixty-eight percent. Still a bit off. Fifty-nine percent. Hmm. Yeah, both are... movies today were like pretty close to each other. Yeah, pretty low. Yeah, that's something. Hmm. What's going on? <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, I'm looking at the letterbox right now, so we can do the letterbox average yeah. and 7.9,000 logged. And yeah, like you're saying, like these are all three or three and a half, every single one except for two. I see one that's two and a half from Kimber. <laughs> and then I see one that is four stars from a um, friend of mine, Sarah Clemens. Wait. I haven't had her on Cinemaholics yet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she's a good writer. I wish you have her on. Um, I didn't Love realize to have her on. Kimber was on Letterboxd. I had to follow her on there. She doesn't post that much. Mm. I was kind of surprised to see her. I followed her way back and like I'd never see her, but mm. she's here. Yeah. But yeah, plenty, plenty, plenty friends of the show over here. Given, you know, like Chris Vandalista gave it a three. Yeah, I saw uh, that. Clint Worthington gave it a three. I Matt Donato gave it three and a half. Mm -hmm. So, you know, folks are coming out and they're saying, you know what? I don't need an exit. I'm staying with this movie. I'm sticking with it. All right. Okay. Yeah. What do you think the letterbox average is? Uh, uh, 3.2. 3.1. Okay. See, when it comes to letterbox, I feel like you, you got, you had your, your finger on the pulse this week on Letterboxd. Yeah. That's, that's good. That's good stuff. All right. That's it. That's no exit. Here's our exit. We're out of here. What are we talking about next week though? The Batman? Uh, Yeah. I hope so. Is and there anything else? I mean, I'm I'm kind of looking at yeah. the lineup here. There's, There's a day to die, which I know we'll probably see that day. That's uh, the uh, Bruce Willis joking. one, right? Yeah. Um, I know you're a little sad about Bruce Willis well, in general. Yeah, based on you know things that haven't been confirmed but alleged about him. Um, yes, yes. Yeah, I don't want. Not much else coming out. Nobody wants to compete with Batman. It looks like. Uh, well, there's after Yang hitting limited release and Showtime. Definitely want to talk about that. Mm. I know you saw that one at Sundance as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we didn't do a full review of it, did we? No, I mean we talked about it, but you know we didn't have a review of it. So yeah. um, I wrote a review of it. Yeah, it's true. Um, but I feel like there's something else that's coming out next week that I am. Uh, I'm double checking my numbers. Maybe I'm forgetting something. Oh yeah, there's Fresh. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, we got another Sunday. That's the other one. Fresh. Another Hulu. Yeah, it's going to be on Hulu through Searchlight. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, another Sundance thing. So we have three movies we, potentially we could talk about next week: The Batman, After Yang, and Fresh. That we're going to be seeing a day to die. But I, I'm assuming Batman's going to take up most of our time. Are we going to have a special guest for the Batman? It's I good, haven't even thought of it until now. Good question. We what do you start, think? We should think about it. Well, the only guest I need is not a guest at all, and that's Will Ashen. 
Sure. His family. <laughs> he's, uh, um, you're either Alfred or Batman, and I'm the other. There you go. Maybe we, we vacillate between the two. Some but, weeks on Batman, some te- some weeks you're the Riddler because I don't understand what you're even talking about. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, uh, man. All right. That's our show for this yeah. week. Thank you, as always, for listening. Always fun. To, yeah, not the biggest movies in the world this week, but certainly uh, uh, interesting as we lead into probably one of the biggest weeks of the, the year so far, at least in Scream, in terms of releases. And uh, yeah, I'm curious to see how the Batman is going to do as a film, uh, box office wise, particularly with what's going on in the world right now. Very interesting to see uh, if people are going to be coming out for this. I suspect they will. I I kind of am expecting Batman to be huge. I'm still a little surprised it's coming out in March. It's like with Uncharted. It's like these movies coming out in like March and February. It's like these are summer movies. Is the summer that's stacked? I mean, I I was talking to you about this earlier this week, I was shocked that Fantastic Beast 3 is coming out in April. I thought that was like a summer or fall know. release. I didn't realize that was coming out in the spring. What's going yeah, on? Yeah, but I I mean, there are plenty of big movies coming out in the summer. I mean, there's new Doctor Strange, sure. and there's going to be Top Gun, and sure. Jurassic World sequel, and yeah. Lightyear, huge Pixar movie, but mm. although that could be on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. I think there's a Minions movie, a Thor sure. movie. I mean, there are, there is a lot of stuff coming out in the summer, so I do kind of get it. I, no, I, I mean, it makes sense. I just felt like it's less about the, the practicality of it, and more just, I feel like, uh, Warner Brothers isn't really marketing it. Like it just kind of like, true. It's just like, oh yeah, that's coming out. I mean, that that seems like something that would be a bigger deal. But you know that that franchise has baggage now. But we can talk about I that. I mean, they did have faith in it because like it seemed like every critic, you know, who like a lot, not every critic, a lot of critics saw it um, on say like around the same time, and then we all put our reviews out at the same exact time. We talked so like they have a lot of faith in it. Yeah, I was talking about Fantastic Beasts. Are you talking about the Batman? I'm talking about the Batman. Yeah, okay. sorry. No, you're good. I, I thought that's what you were talking about in terms of the marketing. I mean, yeah, no. Fantastic Beasts too. But that to me is way more obvious. Like, they they clearly just want to get rid of this thing because yes. it's like a, just a, an albatross around their neck. <laughs> the whole J.K. Rowling situation. Yeah. It's just drama, 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 drama. Yeah. So what are you gonna do? That's all I got. That's that. Yeah. That's all I got too. We'll see you on the next one from the Internet, California. I'm John Negroni. And if you're in Pennsylvania, I'm Lashin. See you next time.